In the last series of programs, I took you through the end results of the return of the Lord, showing the specific things that remain to be finished and can only be finished with the return of the Lord. In the next series of programs, I would like to go into more detail regarding those events in particular. In the process, it's obvious that we're not going to get out of here in some sort of rapture as has been widely uh, preached and popularized. Look, the basis of truth is not whether or not a large group of people believe it. Twitter then would be truth, truth central because everybody strives to have the largest number of followers on Twitter because it's a way of deciding what truth is by an appeal, as the ancient logicians would say, ad populum, which is to make an appeal to the widest group of people that you can. I often hear people argue from that particular logical fallacy, that being, well, look, look at how many people believe this. The history of truth in the earth is that most people don't believe it. So scripture would say, for example, as it was in the days of Noah, it'll be like that in the times of the coming of the Son of Man, and quote, they knew not, the population in general knew not, until the flood came and took them all away. The same thing was true of Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on and so on and so forth. The truth of the matter is that truth is a person with whom we are capable of having a relationship. Truth is not a series of words arranged in any particular fashion. Truth is the disclosure of the nature of a person and that person's intent. Jesus said, I am the truth. So in order to fellowship with the truth, one has to have a relationship to God. Whatever construct we are able to fabricate as an alternative to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is intrinsically fallacious. It has within it those elements of its own destruction. So lots of people talk in terms of, you know, lots of religious people talk in terms of uh, the, the rapture, the catching out, as it were, of the saints to go to heaven for a period of seven years and then come back with the Lord. Two things. Number one, that idea of being caught out to be in heaven with the Lord for seven years is completely fabricated. There's not one shred of biblical evidence to suggest that such a thing will occur. What the Bible does say is that on the day of the return of the Lord, 
quote, when the Lord himself shall be revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God, on that day, that day is the day he's coming back. Not seven years appearing and then catching people up to heaven or seven years uh, beforehand catching people up to heaven. On that day, when the Lord is revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God, on that day, the dead in Christ shall arise first. Then those who are alive, so if we are still alive at the day of the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord, if that happens, if we're still alive, then here is what will happen. We will not precede those who have died in Christ. They will be raised first. By the way, this is 1 Corinthians 15. Read it for yourself. Uh, it's also uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which tells us that that day will not surprise us like a thief in the night because we're not of the night, we're not of the darkness, we're sons of light, we're sons of the day. All right? So the return of the Lord will be in the following manner. The, the Lord will be revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. In short, this is not a secret appearing. The whole, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him when he comes. And in that instant, the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, if we're still alive, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Not in heaven, in the air. If it's in heaven, it's the heavens above the earth. Because it's about the time that the Lord has appeared at the place of the clouds. So we're not going to heaven, we're not going to be caught up to heaven, and we're not going for sure be caught up to heaven seven years ahead of time. On the day of the Lord's return and following the resurrection of those who have preceded us in death, will be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, which is the Greek term for the shortest, shortest measure of time. Instantaneously will be changed, taking on a form like the resurrected dead and all of it patterned upon the form that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. We'll be caught up in to meet the Lord in the air. If you die before the coming back or the return of the Lord, you'll go to heaven. Your spirit and soul will go to heaven. Your body goes into the dust of the earth and that is what is going to be resurrected at the time of the return of the Lord. Your bodies. It's actually the only thing about you that will ever die. It's sown in weakness, this body, it's raised in strength. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Listen, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, where he offers the proof of the resurrection of the dead, beginning with the resurrection of Christ, as the foundation of our faith. 
The evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead is the basis he offers for our faith, not only in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is primary, but secondarily that we who fall asleep in Christ will be raised from the dead at his coming. And those who haven't fallen asleep, which is to say have not died at the point where he's coming, will be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be clothed then. The body that will be raised or the body that will be transformed will be quite the same as what Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead. All right, I wanted to settle that matter in your mind because evangelicals in general are waiting on the rapture. And the thought associated with the rapture is, well, if it gets too hot and heavy in terms of the events that conclude this age, we will have our ticket out. We'll catch the last bus out. Listen, if you're believing that doctrine, you're being set up. You're being set up, you're being deceived. We're going to be here until the Lord returns. A certain number of us will be here, or persons, not necessarily me personally, but, but certain of the saints will be here when the Lord returns. And although it's not popular anymore to talk about the second coming of Christ, this is the time we ought to be talking about the second coming of Christ. We have fallen asleep, as it were. Or the church in general has fallen asleep. And that's why this madness of diving headfirst into politics as salvation of our circumstances is so insane because it flies in the face of every useful understanding and it's extremely dangerous in this regard. Whoever believes we're going to be taken out of here in one shot and not have to face the events that conclude the age will be entirely unprepared for the events that are coming. The other day I was talking to somebody um, just happened to be talking to somebody who believes in the rapture, goes to a big church here in town, um, or goes to a church here in town, and they were adamant that they were waiting for the rapture. That was their plan. Because they were scared out of their minds about the events that are unfolding now. The same group, needless to say, has rejected apostolic doctrine in favor of the teachings of a pastor who teaches line by line, according, you know, deconstructs the scripture, predictably using the model of evangelical theology. We're living in a time when this craziness is only going to get worse. All the old icons of the evangelical church 
that people used to place their faith in, their confidence in, in what they said on TV, all of them are dying. They're either dead or dying. Pat Robertson just died a few days ago. So whenever you hear this message, you'll know something of about the time that the message was recorded. He and Jerry Falwell followed in the footsteps of um, Billy Graham who led the church into politics. Listen, this is not a mystery, this is plain to see. Billy Graham was, the, was considered America's pastor and everyone from Richard Nixon to uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, they all called on him for advice on, on how, the popula- how the religious population is apt to vote between, um, between Jerry Falwell and uh, Pat Robertson, they plunged the church, the evangelical church, into politics. Pat Robertson actually ran for president. Uh, I happened to be in a meeting and I introduced him here in, in uh, Albuquerque at the point where he was running for president because I was at the time involved in politics. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the one who made it abundantly clear that the only hope that evangelical politicians and evangelicals in general had, the only hope they had of taking back America Uh, would be if they lined up with the Republican Party. That became the standard. All these men had sons and of course, as is true in any family business, you leave the family business to your son. And we see these sons as being disasters, absolute debacles, Uh, all of them. Why? Because the truth that their fathers alleged was never actually the truth. I know that for some of you hearing this, this is hard on your ears to hear what I'm saying. But it's why we have gotten into the condition we've gotten and it's why we are thoroughly unprepared for the events that are unfolding upon the earth. And I'm speaking to re-educate a remnant of people. I understand that the Southern Baptist organization is so invested in these theologies about rapture and so on, groups like, like Calvary Chapel and the rest of them, they're so invested they cannot change, they will not change. I'm not speaking to them, I'm not even sent to them, I'm sent to a remnant of people. For the majority of evangelicals see and see not, they hear and they hear not, 
neither do they understand because they only want to hear what they want to hear, they only want to see what they want to see. And as was in the days of Noah, they did not know what the truth was until the flood came and took them all away. I'm speaking to a remnant of people who actually still love the truth because they have an actual relationship with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in that relationship, they have learned to be obedient to the sound of what he's saying. They've learned to receive the sound of what he's saying. The rest, well, that's, God will sort that out, but it will not in the short run anyway. It will not go well for anybody who is unprepared. And I don't particularly care if what we're talking about are evangelicals, I just went down the line because I'm familiar with these characters and with what they taught and so on. And they've moved off now. The new crop that's jostling to become their replacements, fairly witless people. They, they go, they dive firmly into this sentimental gospel assuming that because that's what you're used to hearing, that's what you're going to believe. And most people will. They're not missing the mark, they know their audience. As I said, I'm not sent to them. As to the more traditional uh, expressions of Christianity, the Roman Church, um, the Methodist Church, the Anglican Church, and so on, uh, they are so invested in the power of the institution that they were the ones who actually established the model, actually Satan established the model, but they're the ones who believed in it and pushed it. The model of state power being available to supply uh, the, the economy that supports the gospel in the world. Because for them the gospel is going to heaven when you die. But the true gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. Then the end will come. So I'm sounding a warning that the Lord is returning. I'm not telling you what day that is. Although we will know the day, but we won't know it any more than say Noah knew it. Noah knew it seven days before. Look again in the book of Genesis as it regards the time of the flood and you, know, you will know God told Noah seven days ahead of the time. God said, go into the ark, you and your family, and God brought all the creatures that were to be saved in the ark, and he said, in seven days it's going to rain upon the earth. So Noah knew the day, but not in enough time to write a sensational bestseller about it and reap one last uh, um, financial windfall uh, by talking about silly things like blood moons and so, I mean, my God, uh, how people forget 
these idiots that put out things like the blood moons and, and have everybody hyped up and then nothing happens because they did not hear from God. It was conjecture. It was putting pieces together in a fashion predetermined by what the, the gospel is according to, these, according to these special groups. This is all the reason why there is such blindness and unpreparedness. About all they do is to generate hysteria. And hysteria popularizes them because people look to them, are you the one? Do you have knowledge? Do you have the understanding? It's no different from people going to soothsayers. I know that what I'm saying is very hard. But listen, this is not a time to mince words. The profiteers have been little more than soothsayers, writing about blood moons and, and other, other things such as that. The only person benefiting from any of this stuff are the authors and their publishers. It hasn't happened because it wasn't true. But they keep on going like Old Man River and nobody challenges that and nobody changes. That's why they do not know until the flood comes and takes them all away, as it was in the days of Noah. I am telling you that according to the word, certain events will occur with certainty at the time of the return of the Lord. Now, many of the events will happen just preceding the return of the Lord. If the end of the story is that we are going to heaven, and remain safe in heaven while the rest of the earth, while hell comes forth upon the earth and mankind is in a living hell, and I don't mean that in any sort of, um, I mean it in any way other than uh, the, the, the forces and hordes of hell coming out upon the earth. That's the fashion in which I mean it. Hell comes out upon the earth like out of the abyss. If, that's, if we get to, to go to heaven and are secure in heaven and the Lord is really only coming back to catch out those who are still alive and to take them to heaven, then what about the earth? What about all the things that we were told would be brought into judgment? What about that? Well, it'll be hell upon the earth because we're not here and there's no reason for God to intervene in anything that's going on so the earth will be hellish. But that is not what is true, that is not what is said. So beginning in the return of the Lord, beginning in the season of the return of the Lord, there will be a combination I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing and I want to get into the depths 
of each of these pieces. There'll be a, a combination of a beast described as, as far back as Daniel, Daniel 7. There'll be a beast that arises upon the earth that has power from Satan himself. Satan gives to this beast that is characterized as a beast of seven heads and ten horns. That beast is given Satan's power, Satan's throne or his ruling, so there's power to rule and then there's ruling, his, his power, his throne and great authority. This beast is described as having seven heads and ten horns. It's not an animal, this beast. It's rather, well it's specifically described in Daniel amongst uh, four, four creatures. It's specifically described as a kingdom that shall arise upon the earth in the last days. Seven heads, ten horns. It's predatory in nature. So this kingdom is predatory in nature. Do not think that there's a deal that can be struck with it. You do not make a deal with a predator and you do not particularly, you're particularly unable to strike a deal with a predator who exists on the basis of receiving power, rule and authority from Satan himself. The dragon, that ancient serpent according to Revelation 12, the devil, Satan, different terms for the dragon, gives his power, his throne and great authority to this beast and according to both Revelation and Daniel, he crush, this beast, beast crushes and devours the whole earth and it identifies the saints, the servants of the Most High as the prime enemy. The beast has seven heads which means it has seven systems. So this kingdom, unlike kingdoms before it, it, it is a systemic kingdom. It's a way to rule the earth without actually being visible within particular geographies. It, it insists on a mark for persons upon their foreheads because this mark upon the forehead, the choice of the forehead and the right hand is because the forehead represents how you think and the right hand represents how you act. So you must have this mark on your forehead and on your right hand. It's not an actual mark on either your forehead or your right hand. It's a changed mindset which in turn affects what you do. It's symbolic. So all these who talk about rapture also talk about getting a mark on your forehead and on your right hand so that you can't buy or sell. 
No, it's a, it's a trap. It's a way to reset the thinking of human beings to acquiesce to the threat of famine, war, pestilence, the four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and death. When you're threatened with famine, war, pestilence, and death, anybody, everybody, is going to experience a mindset change and the only exception are those who have their father's name written upon their foreheads. What does that mean? See, it's not just the mark of the beast on people's foreheads and right hand. It's also the mark of the father's name upon your forehead. What does that mean? It means the same thing. To have a mindset of being a son of God. Well, how does that help you? Because your provision and your protection then are understood to be derived not from your acquiescence to the demands of the beast, but from your certainty of being at rest in the person of Christ. Who is your economy? Who is your protection? Who is your provision? Now, these mindset changes are not just about the urgency of trying to survive and receiving political and social propaganda. There's an additional deception. Actually, there are two additional deceptions. But they come out of the same source. And that source is a little horn upon one of the seven heads of the beast. Because there are ten horns in total upon these seven heads which means there are ten rulers, there are ten influencers who are the epitome of what these systems represent. One of these horns is a religious horn with a mouth that speaks blasphemous things against the Most High. That horn motivates church people to believe that the polity of the beast is consistent with scripture and then it has help from the false church who rides upon the beast. So you have a false prophet, false prophet who justifies it all according to the scriptures. And you have a woman, the one we found in the wilderness, who once bore the son but became compromised by the offering of favor. The false prophet is false because he comes out of the mindset of of the mixture of church and state. That was put in play a long time ago. This actually is the spirit of Babylon because it was in Babylon that that concept of the king as a god and 
the worship of the image of that god, or the image of that king, was first installed to the resistance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. So all the old themes are being brought back. They're not just Bible stories, they're the establishment of themes that when they were first established were like types and shadows. But there comes a reality wherever there is a type and a shadow. The only way for you to have a type and a shadow is if there's a reality that casts the shadow. So the spirit of Babylon is is what's speaking out of this beast. What did Babylon do? It tried to crush the saints. What did God do when Babylon tried to crush the saints? He shut the mouths of lions. He made fire a comfortable place. In fact, the fourth man even appeared in the fire and was the defense against the lies and deception that had the three Hebrew boys placed in the fire in the first place. But this time, there's another layer attached to that falsity, the falsity of church and state as one. The falsity is that a church seeking favor from the kings becomes a prostitute because she appears in likeness as the bride, but in fact, her role and her mission is to enrich herself. Now here is what happens as the time of the return of the Lord comes, here is what begins to happen. First the prostitute. Then he said to me, this is from Revelation 17, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So what are the waters in representation? People, nations, languages, multitudes, and tongues. Ten ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. These ten kings will not abide the competition and will not abide the control of this harlot, this false church. They will not put up with her after all the millennia in which she has ruled them in this fashion. They'll have had enough of her. So if you think that getting America to be a Christian nation again is going to have a good result, here's the news flash. This nation is going to hate, hate the church to this extreme that they will make her desolate, this tax um, uh, favor you want is going to be taken from you. The money will be taken from you. What else? 
desolate and naked. All this religious talk, they're going to investigate and whoever is false, well, they're doing that already. They're going to reveal all the falsity. Um, some of the latest, well, I don't even have time to go into some of the latest. Hillsong Church, uh, that, that uh, character who was the pastor of the Hillsong Church in New York, just did a documentary you know, trying to rehabilitate himself, he tears down the very thing that gave him relevance. You know, make her desolate and naked. Take the money, take the fame, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Whatever substance she has will be confiscated. Look at, look at how uh, the disclosures regarding the Roman Church, the, the Attorney's General reports are coming out now that were launched about five years ago with, in about 14 states. And they're all unsurprisingly talking about mass rape of children and the exit out of this uh, system of people of conscience. What is the result? Empty church buildings. The very thing that she was so proud of. Her cathedrals, her, her houses of worship. Desolate, empty, eating her flesh and burning her with fire. Prosecutions. Now why? Because God has put into their hearts, into the ten kings, people with authority who are fed up with this politi politicized church, this harlot. God has put in their hearts to fulfill God's purpose. What's God's purpose? To distinguish the false from what is true. This is where it's going. God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to be of one mind, so that all these systems will turn against this harlot who rides on the beast. The end of her long ride will have come. God has put in their hearts to fulfill this purpose and to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast. So they will fold into this global kingdom. All these domains by these ten kings will begin to contract. I'm of the mind that AI, this is my opinion now, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, with the tremendous rise of artificial intelligence, the collapsing of these systems into a particular mindset that is the philosophy of the beast that opposes God will result in the consolidation of power 
to the beast, which in turn is, of course, Satan's last stand. The beast is the quintessential representation of Satan's offspring, just like it was promised in Genesis 3 when God said, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In the end, it's not even going to be the false church involved in this conflict, she will be destroyed. God will not himself personally destroy her, God will simply put it in the hearts of these kings who are fed up with her, with her shenanigans, more than shenanigans, with her lack of conviction, with her nastiness. Do you think the rape of children is anything other than just horrific nastiness? Do you think the activities of whether it's evangelical uh, church leaders or, or the whole politics and political movement, you think that is viewed by God as somehow his method for taking back any country? Then if that were the method, why did Jesus come? And the proponents of that, the seven mountains guys and all of those who are advocating taking this stuff back for the kingdom of God, they're totally misguided and it's a nasty philosophy because you cannot make that which is opposed to God in its formation and in his nature ever submit to the will of God. I, I don't know what else to say. I've made it as plain as I can. At the time of the return of the Lord, the things you are now seeing and that will get much worse regarding the church and the state is what God has put in the hearts of kings who are fed up with the nastiness of the harlot. None of this relates to the bride. None of this relates to the bride. Finally, until the word, until God's word is fulfilled, by these kings, and the woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. They're not going to be happy with it. And all this push and shove by the church to elect presidents who are favorable to their pet doctrines, totally misguided, and the backlash is spoken of in the scriptures. All right, I'm going to stop on this particular program today, or now, and I'll, I'll pick up what happens to the beast next. We've settled the question in scripture, what happens to the harlot? We're not going to be in heaven when this happens. We're going to be sealed with the stamp of our Father on our foreheads, not in some branding or tattooing or chip planting or any of that nonsense. Our mindsets will be compatible with the Spirit of God and God knows who are His own. We will live in this chaos, in this confusion, 
in this dangerous time, in, this, uh, in the environment of this nasty harlot who pretends that she's us, will live in that time to give proof that we're not of this world or of this age. We won't be sitting in heaven walking streets of gold and eating curds and whey. Some will be in heaven, that, that part of the body of Christ that's now in heaven and will by then be in heaven, will be in heaven. But as to everybody being taken out by then, no, not going to happen. Don't be fooled. When you hear the sound of this folly, if you have ears to hear, you will reject it. If you have eyes to see, you will see what's going on. I'm Sam Solon. We'll talk next about what happens to the beast because these are the concluding events. I'll see you then. Bye now.